I wish I could get you all that fired up on Sunday morning. <laughs> it's so good to be with you this morning. Glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer before we look at our text this morning. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that that love has been demonstrated in the gift of your Son on the cross and our behalf. We're thankful, Lord, that you're patient with us. And, Lord, we pray that as we continue our journey, you might help us to grow. You might help us to see your direction and your guidance for our life, that we might mature as believers, that we might gently guide behind us those that follow, that we might point them to you and help them to see our love for you in our life. Be with us, Lord, this morning. There are those here today who've never trusted you as Savior. Lord, convict their heart, guide them. For each of us, Lord, as believers, challenge us. that We might represent you well in the world in which you have placed us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 24, among a few passages I'd like to share this morning. We hit on these verses a little bit a while back, but I want to call something to your attention this morning. I want to challenge you in a message this morning. I borrow a title from Beyond Belief to Conviction. I think one of the things we have to understand is that as believers, our Lord desires us to move beyond simply believing to a true conviction about what we believe as believers. In John chapter 9, verse 24 and following, we find the interesting story of the man who had been blind. Jesus has already healed him at this point in the story. His eyes have been restored. The religious people have been kind of turned upside down because this event has taken place and he's went to the temple. Listen to verse 24 and follow the story with me for a moment. Beginning of verse 24, chapter 9 and following. And a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Now, they're referring to Jesus and their personal opinion about him. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they hurled insults at him, and they said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of church, basically. And he went and he found him and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This man knew one thing. He had went past belief to conviction. He didn't understand all there was to know about Jesus, but one thing he knew, he was living proof of what Jesus could do. The one thing that awakens us in this world more than anything else is to see living proof of what Jesus can do in the human heart and in the changed life. The problem with most of us as believers is we've never proved, never moved from thinking and knowing. We have never went beyond belief to a spirit of true conviction. Paul said, I know whom I have believed in and I'm convinced he is able to guard that that I have entrusted to him unto that day. It is that confident conviction that gives us the courage, the courage to boldly live for Jesus and the gratitude to love him and the family he has given us, we call the church. April the 20th, 1999, we have the historical horrible memory of Columbine High School. The many students that died on that day. Amanda, Rachel Scott, and others would be gunned down at point largely for their faith in Christ. One year prior to that date, Rachel Scott wrote this little note in her diary. I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm not going to hide the light God has put in me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. She and many others were targeted on that day. Here was a young lady with courage and confidence that had moved beyond belief to conviction about her faith. Brother Ken, why is that important? Why did what this man have to say stand out and make such a difference? Because he looked at these people and he says, I'm not talking about a shallow, insignificant faith. He said, I am living proof of what he can do. When faith moves to conviction, it alters our attitude, it changes our emphasis, and it deepens our commitment to what we believe. Too often times we become content. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. My wife and kids, they're saved, and we're going to heaven. So we'll just sit down and squat and enjoy the ride. We cannot become content. Our faith must be based on objective truth. The central truth is has one true God who is the source of the universe and all that is right and good revealed himself. And if so, can we know him? The Bible says absolutely. Jesus made a claim, an extraordinary claim when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
I've read several surveys through the years. It is amazing of how even many of our Christian committed youth will say salvation is through Christ, but there are other ways to get there. They have never come to that conviction that God's Word it says God has opened a door, and it is through this door we must pass to find Christ and find faith. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 11, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at least believe it for the evidence of the miracles that you have seen. There is the necessity of our faith. When Jesus looked at Thomas after he had risen from the dead, Thomas wasn't there. And so when he appeared, you know the story, when he finally met with the disciples. They said, Jesus, come back to life. And Thomas said, yeah, sure. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. What was his words? You remember them? Well, as I do. I will not believe it till I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and I can put my hand into his side. It wasn't that Thomas didn't want to believe it was that Thomas couldn't bear the pain of losing Jesus twice does that make sense he had already lost him as far as he was concerned he had watched him he had seen him crucified he had seen him put in the ground he would seen the stone rolled in front of the grave he had given him up and lost the Savior that he believed in and had confidence in and his faith just wasn't strong enough to trust Jesus So when he appeared on that next occasion, and he said, come here, Thomas. Thomas, with eyes this big, looking at his Lord. His Lord said, take your finger and put it in the holes in my side. And in the hole prints in my hands. And he said, my Lord and my God. Thomas moved at that very moment from belief to conviction. You and I will not share Christ with a lost friend. Until we come to the conviction that he can change their life. He can alter their course and change their world. We will not share it with a co-worker whose marriage is struggling because of the sinful behaviors they've chosen in their life. Until we are convinced that Jesus can make a difference. Guys, we're not talking about a lease on life. We're not talking about making a decision, I'm going to do better. That's useless. We're talking about a Jesus who can change our heart, can change our attitude, can change our world. And when we become convinced of that, we will share Him with those we see that need Him so desperately. John the Baptist, overwhelmed by what lay ahead, began to wonder about Jesus. He sent a message with his disciples. Now, Lord, are you the one or do we look for another? You've heard me mention this. Go tell them the blind see and the lame walk. And the poor have heard the gospel preached unto them. Yeah, John, I'm the one. I'm the one. You quit worrying. It's going to be okay. It would give John the courage he needed to face the fact they were going to cut his head off for his faith. And they did. This gave him that conviction. There are four thoughts I want you to think about with me as we look at this quickly this morning. I believe that Jesus calls you and me to a belief that will, first of all, silence the shame of guilt in your life. 
I believe one of the things the devil does to you and I to silence our witness, to silence our lives as believers is, is the guilt of shame. Some of us can't get past what we've done. We can't get past the fact that there are things in our life that we feel like have disqualified us to be a witness for Jesus. I got a news flash for you. The Lord can forgive us. There was a woman thrown before Jesus. They were trying to trap our Lord. She had been caught in the very act of adultery. That means she probably wasn't clothed, or if was, was clothed very little, thrown down in public in the dirt of the street. And they looked at Jesus and said, What should we do to her? And the law written said she was to be stoned to death. The Bible says Jesus took his finger and he knelt down and he began to write in the sand. Because here's a bunch of people out here with rocks in their hand. They're ready to carry it out. They're ready to back him in a corner and make him have her executed. Jesus, the Bible says, began to write in the sand. I don't know what he wrote, but I've got a suspicion that he began to write things like lying and stealing and and maybe other commandments. But whatever he wrote in the sand, they began to become convicted of their personal sins. And from the oldest to the youngest, they began to set down their rocks and walk away until all of a sudden he looked around and there was no one left to throw a rock at her. And he looked at the woman. And he told her that her sins were forgiven her. She could leave in peace. Jesus, neither do I condemn you, he said. It is a conviction that will empower you to stand. It means God has forgiven you, he has cleansed you, and he has used you. I listened to a lady on the radio a few years ago, and she talked about growing up in a home where she was sexually and physically abused. And she, she went into prostitution as a young lady as a part of how she'd lived all of her life. She had a horrible, painful, awful experience in life. Much was not her fault in the journey. She had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. She said, I didn't think I could ever amount to anything or be anything or make any difference in my world. But Jesus came into my life, she said, and not only forgave me and cleansed me, but helped me realize how precious I was in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God. One of the horrors of sin is its haunting guilt. Too many of us live with if only I hadn't. If only I did not. It is the haunting voice of sin's regret. If only I hadn't taken that drink and the consequences that followed. If only I hadn't went to that event and the way it impacted my life from that point on. If only I hadn't listened to that voice and ended up where I ended up. If only I hadn't climbed into that car. If only I hadn't taken that peel if only I hadn't gotten involved in that relationship that is the story of so many of us guys we can't erase the past but by the grace of God it can be forgiven it is a belief that will say to the devil you, I, I'm going to silence your voice because though you're right I'm guilty of all of those things God's cleansed me and forgave me and put it in my past and that is yesterday and yesterday's gone when Jesus 
looked at Peter in that earlier part of their relationship. Peter said to him, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And he was. He really was. But he told Peter, he says, son, I'm going to make you a fisherman. Now, I'm going to ask you something. Think with me for a moment. The day would come at the day of Pentecost when Peter would preach the gospel and 3,000 people would accept Christ on one day. What would have happened if Peter would have let the devil convince him he could never do nothing for God? What a difference that made. Yes, we've messed up, but God can forgive. It is more than a belief, it is a conviction that accepts the gift of forgiveness. It is forgiveness that can remove the hurt, restore the walk, and redirect your life in a new direction for Christ. Secondly, He calls you to a belief that will steady you in the storm. Storms of life come. We, we, we brace ourselves now, at least the East Coast does, for the storm that's coming. And it, and it doesn't look good, like so many others. But there are storms that come in our life, and they're not wind and rain. They are experiences. There are things that we can't do that we fail at. There are relationships we're not making work that we need to make work. There are people that we care about that doesn't care about us. There are trials, there are financial and material issues that we struggle with. He calls you to a belief that will steady you in the storm, a belief that He is with you. When the storm of fear would hit Peter, he would say simply, I do not know the man. Heck, if I was backed up against the possibility of crucifixion, I wonder what I'd do. How about you? Heck, if, if we just have a, a, a peer friend that, that might look down on us because we do something for Jesus, we bail out. So Peter said, I don't know him. But these same men who lost their nerve at the cross rediscovered it at the resurrection. Their belief turned to conviction. These who were too afraid... What would happen if they were with Jesus when he was being crucified, ran and hid? Only ones at that cross was John and the women. Some things never change, do they? You'll catch that later. They were gone. They were hiding. What had happened to backbone? But now that they had seen the resurrected Savior... Nothing could alter their course. There was nothing that would intimidate them. They had seen Him. Their faith was in a Savior who had conquered death. Nothing could shake them now. Nothing could silence their voice or alter their course. As He had steadied their nerves on the sea in the midst of the storm, He now would steady their courage in the midst of opposition. A few years ago, I watched on the television as a gentleman out of Birmingham, Alabama was being interviewed. Tornadoes had come through. His young son in his 30s was in intensive care. His son's wife had already been killed in the tornado. It was a quick, just a moment interview. 
And they asked him about it. He said, well, we can't lose. He said, if our son makes it, we have the privilege of keeping him and having him with us. And if he doesn't make it, he has the privilege of going on to heaven to be with that beloved wife. We can't lose. That is moving past belief to conviction that we cannot lose. He calls you to a belief that will silence the shame of guilt, to a belief that will steady you in the storm, and he calls you to a belief that will steer you on your journey. What does that mean? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and follow me. His words are our compass and his will our goal. You see, the word of God is not just there for no purpose. It's to give us direction of what's really right and what's really wrong. We don't need to get that off television. If we do, we're in trouble. What's really right and what's really wrong? What will make a good impact on our life and what will not? The world says you don't have to live by God's standards. But it doesn't tell you the consequences of those choices. Don't let the world mislead you. You have to turn your back on Jesus to live by the immoral standards of a lost world. Do you have conviction that Jesus can be trusted? That what he has said is true, that his path for your life leads to life eternal and to life abundant for which we so seek. It is only when we have come to that conviction that we will faithfully raise our kids in church to know our Lord. We will teach them the word of God, realizing it can make a difference in their life. And we will discipline ourselves to boldly be a witness that they can follow. When I was a young teenager, faithfully in church because of my family, our church sign out in front of that community church had an interesting slogan. I still remember to this day. It simply said, don't send your kids to church, bring them. Now, folks, I don't care how they get here. But I think it worthwhile to understand the impact of being an example has on the lives of our children. Can we say with Rachel Scott, I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm not going to hide the light God has put in me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. We are not only to walk for God, but we are called to a belief that will send us into the game of life. What does that mean, Brother Ken? Like an athlete on the sideline itching to get in the game, nervous but hungry to make a difference. God wants to engage you and I in the mission of His church in a lost world. Guys, you ever know what it was like to be standing on the sideline and you want to be in the game? You're a little bit nervous. You might not be up to the challenge, but you want to be in the game. Jesus wants his believers with an excitement about getting in the game and making a difference for their Lord. Are you ready to take your stand to guide some lost soul to Christ? It is not your abilities 
that are important. It is your conviction that Jesus can make a difference in their life. I'm going to tell you something, guys. I need you. Leah needs you. She needs you to work with children and help them find their way. She needs you to reach out to those parents and help them find the Savior. Lonnie needs you to help him guide those youth in the right direction, not only getting them to a place of worship, but standing up for your faith and giving them an example to follow. The church needs you. And undoubtedly, the Lord needs us, or he would have not given us these assignments. He calls you to a belief that will silence the shame of guilt. He calls you to a belief that will steady you in the storm, and He calls you to a belief that will steer you on your Christian journey. And He calls you to a belief that will send you into the game to make a difference in your world. I'm going to tell you, there's not a one of us here had got a co-worker somewhere that needs to know our Savior. A co-worker or a neighbor or friend somewhere that needs us to be there when they're trying to stumble their way through life's bad choices. God doesn't call us all to be preachers. But he does call us all to be believers with a heart of conviction. That is the challenge God gives us this morning. It is his challenge for me. And I believe it's his challenge for you. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, be with us, Lord, this morning. May we say, Father, like the words of the blind man, this one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Can we say, Lord, to a lost world, one thing I know, I was lost, and now I'm saved. I was sin-ridden, and now I'm forgiven. I was worried about the future, but now I know that no matter what the future holds, the Savior holds me. May God challenge our hearts this day to make the commitments He places on our heart. Guide us, Lord. In your name we pray.